Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to live and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Last week, we had Pastor Dale sharing about the section right before this on chastity would be a word that you could use about abstaining from sexual morality. And today we're going to be looking forward into more charity. Uh, Pastor Dale did a great job last week. I was thrilled with how he handled the text. If you're looking for where the scriptures have or what God thinks about sexual morality, uh, go back to that sermon last week. Uh, he was very clear about it. And, um, and even those, many of us who have been in the room through this series, we've been going through our um, study guides have been prepared for us by the Bible Interpretation DTM. Um, I, know, I know one brother was sharing with me this week. He's like, yeah, I knew what we were, I did my Saturday soak. I knew what we were gonna be, we were gonna be hearing preached on Sunday because I studied it on Saturday. And, uh, and he was willing to confess. He's like, and I, and, and, he goes, I, I've been struggling with that. So I knew what I was going to be getting when I came and sat in the pews. And, and Dale just took a bat of love to him. And so it was uh, a great time to be equipped with what God wants for us as we trust him, as we trust him and not ourselves as to what we think is best for ourselves we're trusting Jesus and his plan for us. So good job, Dale, last week. You know, I wanna start off by talking about how are you best motivated? How are you best motivated? Okay, now I'm gonna give you some ideas about how we're motivated in some ways. And I go back uh, at a time in my life when I needed much motivation. Is in junior high school. Junior high school, a 13, maybe 14-year-old. We just need to pray for our junior high, middle school kids, man. What a challenging time to go through as a human being, your teenage years. I find myself in a place of, of being inspired and motivated by my junior high school basketball coach. Now, I'm a seventh grader, playing with eighth graders and ninth graders. Okay, these ninth graders have hair coming out of their chest. <laughs> and I, for some reason, I find myself on the same court with these guys, and all the language that the coach is talking, it just feels like it's all coming in as Chinese. Like, it's loud, I'm not getting it. He says to get on the line, I get on the line. When everyone's getting on the line, I'm kind of following the ninth graders. Well, he had been trying to teach us on how to do a backdoor cut because no one's doing a backdoor cut. How many basketball players are in the room right now? Three. So, 
Let me tell you what a backdoor cut is. Like, is this, this is the, the basketball hoop. Everyone wants to put the ball in the hoop, okay? It's a round ball, a cylinder. <laughs> and in junior high school, everybody wants to go where the ball is at, which is usually out here at the top, around the three-point circle and all that. Everyone wants to go to the ball. Everyone wants to go to the ball, and nobody likes to play defense. No one likes playing defense because everyone wants to play offense and wants to have the ball in their hands. Well, he's saying we need backdoor cuts, backdoor cuts. He tells us what they are, tells us what it is. Again, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. And then, so he says, do the drill again. I want a backdoor cut. The first person that does a backdoor cut successfully is starting in this week's game. It's the first game of the year. I'm on the floor. I'm on the floor. I don't know what a backdoor cut is, but I find myself going this way, and I'm like, there's nobody back there towards the basketball hoop. So I go this way. Next thing I know, I get a pass and I go in and I make a layup. That's it, Fortunato! <laughs> You're starting! First game! And I'm like, I'm not even sure I did anything right at this point. <laughs> but guess who did a lot more back cuts from that point forward? <laughs> I am motivated well when people tell me I'm doing something well. And smart leaders who have been in my, around leading me have figured that out about me. Now, what I don't do well is with angry coach. Angry coach was in high school, and we were losing to a crosstown rival in high school, and we come into the locker room at halftime, and we start hearing the yelling down the hallway as he opens up the door into the locker room at halftime, comes walking through the lockers. We don't even see him yet, and we hear a Bam! And he gets in front of us and he starts yelling at us about everything we're doing wrong, everything we're doing wrong. Everyone's got their heads down, looking at their sneakers. I'm looking at my shoes and it's getting red. My white shoes are getting red. And he had punched a locker, opened up his whole hand, and was flinging his blood all over us. I don't remember anything he said during that halftime speech. <laughs> but angry coach doesn't motivate Craig. How are you best motivated? How are you best motivated? We're going to see Paul do a little bit of motivating here in these verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 in chapter 4. He's going to give us a couple different uh, ways of motivating. Maybe you'll pick up on them. Paul begins uh, with what I think he's going to try and tackle in this, in this section is he's going to teach us on how to act. He's teaching the Thessalonians how to act, how to conduct themselves, how to behave. Remember, this is a new church, a new, 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 new church. Weeks old, weeks old, and it's, upper, and it's in Greece, and it's upper Macedonia, ancient times of Macedonia, and and uh, it's a very young church. Remember back in Acts chapter 17, we get a brief history of how the gospel came to them through Paul, preaching three different Sabbaths. For three weeks, he's preaching in the synagogue, reasoning from the scriptures, and people, men and women both, were coming to faith in Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. This is a young, young church, weeks old, and Paul is looking back and he's writing probably from Rome. He's writing them, and he starts off by saying this. As he begins to encourage the Thessalonians, he is encouraging the Thessalonians, okay, how to act. He begins with love. Let's read it together. 
Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. This is encouraging. This is good. Paul is getting word that the brothers, the, the, the Christians there at this young church in Thessalonica, they are loving one another well. I want to tell you about this word brotherly love. It's a word that is, uh, we, you might find familiar. It's, it's a Greek word, and I'm going to try and pronounce it for you correctly. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Maybe you've heard of it before. Philadelphia. So hard to untrain my tongue to say Philadelphia. But it's, uh, it's spelled the same as ours. Philadelphia in Pennsylvania is a city known as being a city of? See, you guys know. This is brotherly love. What this means is that it would be as if they had the same father. And we know that they do have the same father, the same heavenly father. But it is a brotherly love. It's familial. It, uh, it is not without its um, list of grievances that, fa- that, that a brotherly love has for his brother, brothers have for one another or brothers and sisters. But if uh, a younger brother was to be bullied at the school, uh, the local school, the older brother will soon arrive with war on his hands to defend his little brother. Um, so brotherly love is a beautiful love that is exhibited amongst believers together. Um, brothers and sisters can have this Philadelphia love for one another. And somebody in the study guide, one of you who wrote uh, this section on the study guide for this section, uh, came up with a great question. Where else in the scriptures can we see uh, uh, brotherly love described? And so I answered that. And uh, if you look in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, the scriptures tell us, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. This is an idea of brotherly love, affectionate love. In a moment, I'm going to show you some examples of that. I also want to talk to you about another type of love that Paul is talking about here, and it's in verse 9. Read it again together. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. That word love is a different Greek word, and that word is what we refer to as agape. Agape love comes from God. It is purely from God. And so when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and the love of God is in you. The love of God drew you to himself. 
And therefore, we are to be obedient and to love one another. Love one another as we have been loved. This is all agape. This is all agape. Love of God that comes from God. It's agape love. I want to give you guys an example of this, and this is a great cross-reference to 1 John chapter 4. Turn, with, turn there with me, if you would, towards the back of your Bibles. 1 John chapter 4. It's interesting, John Sabajos, leading us in worship, was reading from 1 John this morning as well. But this section is a little bit longer. It's about 14 verses. Chapter, chapter 4 of 1 John, verse 7 through 21, through the end of the chapter. I want you to hear this. Those of you who are wondering, where in the Bible do we hear about the love of God? Where do we see that where God is love? Where do we see this? Today's your day. We're reading it right now. And this is talking about agape. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, if we love one no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have found from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. This is an example for us to see where else in Scripture do we see how love is being used, how God, through other authors, is, is using this same message that he is love. So God is, in, is, is encouraging the Thessalonians through the writing of Paul. He's encouraging us because this word is for us here today as well as we are to follow it. And we get to see there's two examples. Philadelphia and agape as ways of love that we are supposed to give ourselves to each other, to love one another. I want to give you guys an example of how this has taken place here in our church. Even this past Wednesday, this past Wednesday, our men's ministry got together. 
And uh, we had a wonderful time together. We had to have over 50 guys come together and hear uh, a brief devotion. And we also opened up the time for people to uh, share where they're at in their walk with God together. Now you think you ask a group of men, you're ask, asking for a death sentence of it just being silenced. Nobody's going to say anything. But praise the Lord, it was, it was more than that. Go ahead and scan forward. This was a, a chance for us to see God working. We got to eat together. And uh, take a look at this food here, right here. Let's take a moment how this, this plate was so perfectly well prepared. See the croutons on the side and the sauce in the middle of the whole plate, star of the show. Okay, so we move forward. And then this is what one of the great things was, is after, I mean, men were sharing all together at the end of the devotion, they were sharing, I think there was eight or different men who had stood up and they were just honest. One man shared about he needs motivation to be able to share the gospel with people who need to hear it. Um, it doesn't come out so easy. Another man shared how he struggles with anger. Another man shared how he's been praying for a lifelong friend of over 40 years, sharing the gospel with this man. And this man is at the end of his life, and he's still asking us to pray for him. Pray for him that he would share, that he would receive the gospel. This man would receive the gospel before, uh, before death takes him. This picture here is after we, we concluded our meeting and everyone's free to go home. And this is where I got to see love continue amongst these men. They wouldn't leave. <laughs> I looked around the yard and I saw hands on shoulders and people praying for each other. Lifting up uh, needs that can only be met by brotherly love and prayer. The night got darker and darker and a few people started leaving, but uh, there was men who were remaining there, exchanging phone numbers, planning to get together. Uh, this coming week was a challenge given by one of our, our design team members. This was a beautiful night to see um, for everyone at that night, and now all of you to be able to see um, the beauty that is in this church of people loving one another well. Uh, not just with attendance, but with appropriate, hey, I hear you. You can say that. You can be safe. And I'm praying for you. Uh, this is, I think, maybe a glimpse of what Paul is referring to in how the Thessalonians were sharing this brotherly love for one another. So Paul is encouraging what is going on here. He's encouraging, he validates it, and not only does he go with, you know Paul, if you've been reading him, he encourages them, but he just can't help himself from telling them what to do. He, he says this, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. No need. You took state in brotherly love. No need. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. They've received this instruction from Old Testament teaching, Jesus' teaching, the Holy Spirit teaching them now. You've been taught by God to love one another. 
for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers through Macedonia, through all the different churches, through all the different cities. In just a matter of weeks, they are loving one another well. You have no need for someone to write you about this. Well, listen to what Paul does. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So he just finishes that, that, that you guys are doing great. There's no reason to write you, but I'm writing you. But keep doing this more and more. Keep doing it. Fan the flame. That, that flame is going, it's getting hot. Fan it more. Do it more. More and more. I love Paul. I love his writings. And I love what I'm seeing in our church. Secondly, I want to talk about a different type of motivation structure or strategy, I want to say. Different motivation strategy, and this is exhortation. Exhortation. Now, if you know what that word means, you can sometimes flinch. Like, oh no, hard stuff is coming. But really, I still respond well, not only to encouragement, I, 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 I like to think that I respond well with exhortation if it's clear, if it's clear, if it's clear. And that's what I see Paul doing super well here. Paul exhorts the Thessalonians, verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Okay? So he's identifying three different things. We're going to take him through just baby steps at a time. First one, live quietly. There might be some people up there in Thessalonica in this church who might be a bit loud and might be a bit zealous, a bit passionate about what they're all about. Have you ever met some of these people? Maybe at a block party? You meet your neighbor all of a sudden, and all of a sudden they're coming at you and like, hey, hey, nice to meet you. Hey, do you work out around here? Hey, what's your nutritional program? Hey, you're not, you're not eating those seed oils, are you? You're like, man, it's nice to meet you. I need to, can you excuse me while I get a fistful of hot dogs and come back? Sometimes people, you know, it's not that it's a bad thing, but it just might be over the top thing. And Paul might have recognized this in the church, or maybe you're hearing reports about it. There's people in this church who are just fanatical, fanatical about fitness, fanatical about religion, fanatical about where you send your kids to school, fanatical about what kind of car you drive. I mean, anything. We can get fanatical about anything, right? And he's just like, hey, it's better to live quietly. It's better to live quietly. And all the introverts in the room say, amen. <laughs> Just a little quiet, a little peace, a little alone time, a little me and Jesus time. And he's saying, it's better, it's better to live quietly. Live quietly. To aspire to live quietly. Secondly, he says, mind your business. Mind your business, you busybodies. Just go on, go on, get up and mind your own business. Keep interested in what you need to do. You've, you know, some of you have families. Take care of your family before you go around taking care of everyone else's family in the neighborhood. Take care of your own. Mind your business. Don't get all caught up in everyone else's affairs. Don't stretch yourself out farther than what you can handle. You've got bandwidth, you've got margin, live within that margin. And do so quietly. 
Don't be a busybody. Don't be looking to get into somebody else's business when it's not yours. Don't do it. It's a temptation for some. It's a temptation to be uh, into everyone else's affairs. Mind your own. Okay, so he's being really clear here. Live quietly. Mind your own business. And do some work. Do some work. Even work with your hands. He is specific. He says work with your hands. Now the Greeks, they, they, where this Thessalonica is, they, they often felt like they were above working with their hands. That's slave labor. I'm Greek. I don't do that. And Paul is saying, no, you need to work with your hands. You need to work with your hands. What do we know about Paul? He was a tent maker. He was a traveling tent maker. He had a craft. He had a trade. He's working with his hands. He's making tents. Um, so he would not be a burden upon people. He wanted to be able to care for himself or bring in his own money to be able to care for himself in the ministry that he had. Um, he wanted to encourage them. He had already encouraged them to do so and to continue working with their hands as we instructed you. But flash forward a few months after this letter has been delivered. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The second letter. The second letter that Paul wrote to this church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 9, or I'm sorry, verse 6 says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Idle means you ain't working. You're not working. There's jobs available and you're not working. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, because we do, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. To imitate. And that's what being a disciple is, is you're imitating that disciple maker who helped you come to Jesus. You're imitating. You're following in their footsteps. And that's what Paul is telling this church. This church, I think, was struggling with working. I think they kind of wanted to be, there's, there's many commentaries talk about there's people who are funding uh, groups of people to just be available, to just be available and be around and we love you and you're, you're funny and you're great and everything, but they're not working. And this is important to Paul and it means it's important to us. This is important to God that we need to be able to work with our hands as, we've been, as, they, as Paul instructed them. So now Paul exhorts the Thessalonians. He's very clear about it. You know, live quietly, mind your own business, and work. Work with your hands. Get to it. This is important. So this leads us to our, our third final movement here. And it starts with a so that in verse 12. Verse 12 starts off with saying so that. So that is going to give an explanation as to why are we doing what's been already talked about. It's going to answer the question why. Why do we have to live humble lives? Why do we have to be quiet? Why do we have to mind our own business? Why do we have to work? Why do we have to love one another? Why do we have to have brotherly love amongst all of us? Why, 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 why? So he says this as he shares the effect with the Thessalonians. Paul is sharing the effect of the Thessalonians. He says, so that 
you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Walking properly and not being dependent on anyone. This is important. This is important. Paul has encouraged, he's exhorted, and now he's given the effect as to why this is happening. And the reason why he's doing this, folks, is because the world is watching. The world is watching how we live and how we love one another. The world is watching. Remember this environment that this small, young, impressionable, zealous church is just weeks old. And and the environment that they were birthed out of was quite caustic. It was quite, the whole city came up in turmoil over it. The world is watching. And Paul says the world is watching. And they need to see that you're responsible with the things that you have, with your home, that you're responsible with it. That, that gutter's not hanging off and weeds coming through it. You're taking care of your things. You're taking care of what's, what's, what's your own. You're minding your own business. You're taking care of your own children. You're minding your own children. And when you discipline, you are, you are disciplining your children, when you do discipline your children, you're not red in the face and veins bulging out of your neck. You're composed. You're loving. You're helping your child see what they did was, was wrong. But you're not letting it get by. You're instructing them in the way that they should go. Neighbors are watching. Neighbors are listening. And we don't want anything to be a hindrance to those who have yet to receive the good news of Jesus Christ as their Savior. There is a Savior that I need and I cherish Him. They have yet to do that. We are all purveying this, this gospel message in word and in deed. He's saying, man, we don't want there to be a stumbling block. We don't want there to be an obstacle that somebody has to crawl over. Like I hear that, that church-going family, but... You know, they go to church every Sunday, but I sure do hear a whole lot of yelling at, at night times between Mr. and Mrs. I've thought about calling the police a couple of times, but I don't know, they got perfect church attendance. And they have people come over to their home on Wednesday nights. But I don't know. Let's don't give them that obstacle. Let's, let's live quiet lives. Let's mind our own business. Let's go to work. Let's take care of what's our own. But even more than that, it's the love of God that in it, is in us that makes us want to do all of that. That makes us want to love one another, last a little bit longer with one another, care for one another even when it's hard and challenging and hot outside. Let's love one another. The world is watching, folks. The world is watching. And Paul's saying this message is too good for it to be messed up with our, with our behavior, with our conduct. So let's take care of these three things. Let's, do, let's continue loving one another well. Do it more and more and more and more. But let's live quiet lives. Let's mind our own business. Let's do our work. And God's going to do something great in the midst of it. The world is watching how we live and how we love one another. So let's do it well.
in our life groups and we spend time with one another. Let's use that time to, to love one another well. And when God gives you something to uh, exhort someone, do it clearly and in love. Let's love one another. God has loved us so well. Uh, let's respond well with a great love for him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time to be encouraged, exhorted, and to be able to see the effect the, of, of what, what's happening here. God, we want to glorify you in the highest and highest of ways. It's interesting how it can come as something as simple as going to work on, on Monday morning. Or even... how we speak to one another in our family, and how we care for our neighbors. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here instructing us, teaching us uh, each where we're at in our own place in life. We're not alone. Certainly we know we have one another in this room but even more than that, we have you, Jesus, uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit with this every moment of every breath we take. So guide us, guide us forward and speak to each one of us in how we are to walk and talk and love one another and care for our own needs. And We want to see you lifted up. We want to see you magnified, glorified uh, to our neighbors and their neighbors and the neighborhood after that. Do a great thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.